It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello there and good afternoon. And you're very welcome to Thursday's Late Lunch. This is Barbara Scully in for Jerry Kelly today. And it's lovely to be back here in Drogheda and on LMFM. It was actually really great to hit the road uh, from Dublin this morning because I actually have been grounded, completely grounded uh, since about mid-January when I broke my arm. And I'd love to be able to tell you that I broke my arm when I was away off skiing or something like that. But in actual fact, the mortifying truth is that I broke my arm playing chasing with the dog through the house when I ran through a dark room and fell over a footstool. Um, I broke my humerus, which wasn't very humorous at all, uh, because it was my right humerus. So it meant I could do very, very little. So as I say, I was completely grounded. Um, I have been nowhere for months. So it's very exciting. I feel like I'm on my holidays uh, being up here in, in Drogheda today. And, you know, it was really nice even though I was looking at the countryside from the motorway, which, you know, isn't generally the most uh, uh, fabulous views that you get. But the countryside is starting to look so, so, so beautiful. And uh, without making this sound like some kind of very worthy sermon, I think we take so much for granted our health, our freedom and the fact that we do live in a a really beautiful country. And coming here this morning made me realise how much I'm looking forward to hitting the road over the summer uh, for some holiday time here in Ireland. Um, I mean, I love to travel as much as the next person in a previous life. I was a travel agent, but in summer, I'm very happy to stay here and visit some of the stunning places we have all over the country. Um, and on that note, actually, we will be talking about holidays, both at home and abroad next week on Tuesday, when I'll be joined by Michelle Jackson, a.k.a. the novel traveller, who has some great suggestions for 3G family holidays, both here and abroad. So don't miss that if you still have uh, you still have to make your plans for this year. What's 3G, I hear you asking? Well, 3G is three generations. So she has suggestions for everybody from the kids to the teenagers, to the parents and to the grandparents. So as I say, don't miss that next week. Anyway, we also have a great show lined up for you today. Uh, We will be talking about all kinds of topics from volunteering to a very unusual school and communicating with animals. So as I say, lots of variety. so, So please do stay with us. And we would love to hear what you think of any of the items or if there's anything else you want to tell us about, please do get in touch. You can send a text, the old fashioned text, or you can send a WhatsApp to 086 1800 658. And as I say, we would love to hear what you think about any of the things that we are going to talk about uh, today. So the first thing we are going to talk about today um, involves a brilliant woman. And, you know, we all know that women, if they were running the world, we might not be in the kind of mess that we are at the moment. How do you know that, you might say? Well, I know that because of women like my next guest. Tracy O'Keefe set up her own DIY divorce business to save couples thousands of euros in fees. And she did that after her own experience of finalising her divorce. Hi, Tracy. 
Hi, how are you? I'm very well. Thanks a million for taking the time to join us today. Are you well? I am, I'm good. Good, good, good. I see you're over your broken arm. Honest to God, yeah, yeah. It took some getting over. But anyway, it put manners on me, I'll tell you that. <laughs> tell me, tell me first off, you have set up um, a company called No Hassle Divorces. Yeah, so, No Hassle DIY Divorces. DIY Divorces. So can you tell me, why Why did you set that up? Right, so basically I was going for my divorce around 2018 and I went to see a solicitor. Now he quoted me, it, he said approximately it'll cost me five to six thousand euros because there was a house involved. Right. So the first time I went to see him, it was amazing, promised me the moon, the stars, everything. And I was delighted with life. Off I went um, thinking this is going to be all sorted. I was going to keep the family home for the kids. Went back the second time and met with him and another solicitor and all my dreams were dashed. It was like they were talking to a completely different person. Um, wow. Um, you need to give your ex this, you need to do this, you need to do this. And I was like, but you've never told me any of this initially. So that I was just, I was just really sickened, like and disheartened after, after that session. So and went, Tracy, and can I, I just ask you, was it both the, the extra money that was involved or just the extra hassle and work and stuff you had to do? Well, no, I, obviously there's no hassle with solicitors. They do do the work for you. It was the fact the first initial meeting, he was saying, no, you'll keep your house It'll be fine. It'll be this. Don't be worrying about anything. And the next time I went, it's like, no, you're going to have to give him 50% of everything. Right. Um, you know, and I just went, no, I've been paying this mortgage for years. That's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, but just real disheartened. Um, he was kind of a bit abrupt, okay. the, the guy that was that was with him. Um, it was like he just didn't look at any of my paperwork before he came in to see me. Right. And he just didn't do his homework. And when he came in to see me, it was this, this and this. And I could see the other fellow was even a bit taken aback by what he was saying. But look, it, that was an experience one I actually don't want to do again. But based on that, I just sh- looked around and I went, wait, hold on a second. I'm intelligent enough to look at this paperwork. So yeah. I went, had a look at the paperwork online. I went, I'm going to give this a go myself. Wow. And see, see how it goes. So did you dispense so, with your solicitor's services at that point? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I went online and did all the paperwork up. Now, it was trial and error. You know, you make mistakes, but the, the courts, if you make a mistake, you send something in, they'll send it back to you, but they give you a note saying what, right. what's wrong with it. So right. you're able to fix, fix it all up. Um, so off I went, and with the help of another good friend of mine, because um, she helped me through, you know, she was checking the paperwork Yeah. As, as we were going along and we got it done. So just before COVID hit in 220, I was divorced. And how much do you reckon you saved yourself by doing that yourself? Five to six thousand euros. Wow, that's not to be sniffed at then. No, and was it hugely time consuming, Tracy? I mean, did that involve a very big amount of your time in order to do that? No, it wasn't. It wasn't a big amount of time. You know, you have to wait on course to send to send you back things. Okay. So I think it was more the stress of making sure I had the paperwork right. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'd be real particular when it comes to things like that. So when you don't get something right, you're like, oh god. But like I, I got it done. It wasn't time consuming. It isn't time consuming. It can be mind consuming. Right. Okay. Okay, and I take your point that these kind of processes don't work that fast anyway, so you have got the time to kind of do it at your own pace, if you like. Yeah, yeah. and like if you go to a solicitor, you're talking about two to three years. Now, obviously, they're not just concentrating on divorce. They've yes. 
other factors that they're looking after as well. So that's why it takes them so long. But with us, it only takes three to six months. Like we had one yesterday divorce. Our record was two months. Wow, from start to finish. From start to finish. Yeah, she started us in late January. Good Lord. And completed yesterday. Yeah. And tell me, so in, in general, since you, when when did you set up then in, um, your DIY divorces? When did you set that up? So we set that up last year. Last year. And yeah. how many people do you reckon you've you've helped at this stage? And how much in general are you saving people? Is it still around five or six grand? Well, it can depend. Um, so just to answer your first question, I'd say we have divorced up to 50 clients now at this stage. 50, great. Yeah. Okay, um, some of our clients have come to us. You get different quotes depending on solicitors. Right. It's not one quote across the board. So some of our, our, our clients have been quoted 15,000. Wow. For a divorce, and we've done it for 500 euros. They must love you. You must get great gifts off them, do you? <laughs> I get great reviews. <laughs> I'll take that. That's some difference. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Wow. And, and people actually are, are kind of say, is this real? That's what I was just going to ask you. Do people figure they're getting a not real divorce at at, at the kind of rates that you're offering? Do you get people saying, are you sure I'm actually divorced? Yeah, yeah. But they they go to court, they sit in front of a judge so they know on the day they are divorced. But obviously people get, they're sceptical. You have so many scammers going around that that's what they think we're doing as well. But then when they get onto our our Facebook or our webpage and they read our reviews, like we have some video reviews up there for people. Yeah. You know, we've, we've nothing but good reviews. That's fantastic. Now, t- yeah. tell me, um, Tracy, are there some d- people who would come to you and you you just couldn't help them because they will need a solicitor's input? Yeah, there will be. Um, like in my case, I was able to sort my property out with the ex. Yeah. So that's why it was easier. But some people, you have no choice. You're never going to sort it out with your ex. Yeah. You know, it needs somebody to step in. Now, some have gone through mediation and were able to sort it out that way. Yeah. But for others, no. Like we, I had one that went to court and he was already should have got his divorce on that day but she threw a spanner in the works about um, custody right. of the kids so at that stage because she wanted full custody and he had full custody they had to go down the solicitor's roof okay okay you no know, we weren't able to have him but we kept in touch kept in touch and he came back to us then when he was divorced great and you still probably saved him a bit of money because they were halfway down the process by the time they had to engage a solicitor yeah well the solicitor only had to deal with the the welfare of the children yeah everything else was dealt with yeah yeah that's terrific I hope we saved the money and do you think are you do you know of other um, companies that are offering uh, what you're offering or are you kind of the first oh no there is there's obviously a few is there yeah yeah, there's always competition yeah there's a few um, around the country that are offering the same service but I think what makes us different is is our support. Like, so like I was just going to ask you, what yeah. can you offer like more than a solicitor would? Because I think it's a bit like it's a bit like going to a doctor sometimes. Going to a solicitor, you're very conscious always of the you know that it's like being in a taxi of the meter running. You know, so you don't tend yeah. to kind of look for more than the absolute essential. So, what can you offer that you think a solicitor couldn't to a couple who are going through divorce? Okay. Well, initially, like if people live in Dublin, they're more than welcome to come out and meet with us. We mm. don't charge any extra for that. Obviously, you know what solicitors charge Yes, for just your consultation. And if they're stuck on any paperwork, they pop into us and we'll help them along along the way. They also can contact us any time of the day. We know most people are working during the day and they're going to text you in the evening times or they'll give you a call or an email and we'll always answer them back as quick as possible. You're not going to get that with, with anybody else because they're going to answer you back two weeks later. Yeah. 
Um, so we know, look, I've been there. I know how stressful divorce is. And just for somebody to answer you really quickly, it just really takes a load off. You know, yeah. that's, why it's no, that's why the name is No Hassle. So we try and make it as easy, as simple and as stress-free as possible. Yeah, fantastic. Now, listen, I heard that there were one particular couple uh, yeah. who were both going through their own divorces so that they could get married and you even got invited to the wedding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, they started their divorce on the same day and they were in court within 10 minutes of each other. That's... Both divorced on the same day and now due to be married in July this year. And oh. we're invited to the wedding. And you're invited to the wedding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They came out. They were from um, down the country. So they drove down, came out to, to my house. Fantastic. And they were a lovely, lovely couple. I don't think there's too many solicitors that probably get invitations to weddings um, <laughs> on the basis of their business. Tracy, tell me, how do people get in touch with you if they want to know more? Um, well, we obviously have our web page. We have our, our Facebook page. Um, so what do Google they us. search for? No Hassle DIY Divorces. No Hassle DIY Divorce. And that's on Facebook. And even website, did you mention as well? Yeah, same. Um, no Hassle DIY Divorces.com. Dot com. And it's all there and you're happy to help. Yeah. That's and our numbers are up there. They can ring us anytime. Ring you anytime. Yeah. And you won't be charging okay, them by the second. We can't help you if, you know, if you're going to have a battle on your hands, we'll at least point you in the right direction. Brilliant. That sounds absolutely fantastic. Listen, congratulations on seeing a, a gap so in the market and jumping in there and and uh, and uh, fulfilling a need and continued success to you. That was Tracy O'Keefe from uh, No Hassle DIY Divorces um, and you can contact her through her Facebook page or her website. Don't go away. We'll be back shortly. Now then, welcome back to Late Lunch. A horse charity is urgently appealing for volunteers for its rescue centre, which is based in Trim. The Leinster Horse and Pony Rescue say that it may have to close due to a lack of volunteers. Um, And the majority of the current volunteers there have been there a long time and are becoming burnt out because they're having to fill in the gaps in the volunteer roster. So to tell me more about this, I'm joined now by Joseph Quinn, who is the founder of the Leinster Horse and Pony Rescue. How are you doing, Joseph? Good, thanks. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for joining us today and to tell thanks us about tell us about this. Now, this would be a disaster for, for, for poor horses and ponies who are in desperate situations. So can you tell me what's happening um, with the volunteers? Yeah, so like I said, it would be disastrous. We do um, obviously offer an essential service to um, horses, ponies and, you know, the odd donkey um, in the Leinster area. So I suppose the last six months we've been really uh, struggling for volunteers and... Um, we had a lot of volunteers join over COVID and then obviously people went back to work, they went back to college and whatever else. So we lost volunteers naturally through that. Mm. Um, but to be honest, we, we are taking in horses with severe behavioural problems, horses with injuries and so on. So, you know, there's, well, we do have around 25 volunteers on board at the moment. We believe we need around 40 to give, you know, adequate cover over both shifts. So we have a morning shift and an evening shift. So nine to 12 and six to half eight um, in the evening. Um, so, you know, to continue going forward, we definitely need more people on board. The volunteers we do have, we're tremendously grateful for, yeah. but we just need more of them. You need more bodies. Tell me, yeah. give us an idea of what it is that you need volunteers to do. What would they be actually doing if they volunteered yeah. their time with you? So duties would include looking out, feeding the horses, providing them with hay and water, and then we have other duties, obviously, of providing first aid if they have injuries, mm. and some handling work, um, ground work such as lunging, you know, to get them ready for to go into the new homes, 
um, grooming and then of course with that comes lots of hugs and kisses so <laughs> I mean it's a very rewarding thing to do yeah. um, it's not easy so we would obviously ask people if they were interested you know really think it through um, there is heavy lifting involved the lamb does get quite muddy so it's not pretty but you know it's definitely a rewarding thing to do but we would ask people to really think you know really mm. think it through before committing yeah, yeah, yeah. Very healthy thing to do too. You'd be out in the fresh air and uh, and all of that yeah. as well. Yeah, and you're meeting new people, so it's a great social aspect to it as well. Yeah. Um, but and I presume you don't, I know you would like to have people who have experience of horses, particularly as you said, there are a lot of the horses that you deal with have come from traumatic situations and possibly need, you know, extra kind of behavioural help. But I presume as well as having, as looking for people with some experience of horses, you're also just looking for people who would be happy to do the mucking out and the grooming and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, like to be honest, all we would ask that people just have basic horse experience, whether that's they've ridden horses in the past or maybe a family member has owned the horse. We would just ask, ideally, that they would have some foundation somewhere. Um, I mean, at this stage, we will take on people with no experience and we you know, we will show them the ropes and train them up. But we ideally, if they just had some horse experience somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And roughly, again, just to give our listeners an idea, what kind of time commitment ideally would you want from somebody who thought, yeah, I might have a bit of time and I'd like to do that? Are you looking for a couple of hours a week from people or...? Yeah, so look, ideally between two and a half and three hours a week, that's all we're asking. Like at the moment, we have certain volunteers that, you know, are doing three and four shifts a week and they're the volunteers who are getting burnt out because, yeah. you know, they're having to fill gaps in the rota. And if I could just maybe touch on one thing, um, we do with people volunteering, we get in touch with them to arrange an induction and then we don't hear anything from them. Um, so we are just asking for, you know, a little bit of common decency if you can't make your induction or you're no longer interested, just to politely let us know because... We're all we're hundred percent voluntary here, including myself. And you know, we do have to give up our days to meet potential volunteers and then they just don't turn up. So Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, that's yeah. that's disappointing. Um It is, it can be. Yeah, yeah. Now I know you also do uh you offer talks, I think, on responsible um uh, horse and animal ownership yeah. um into schools and organizations. That's something I think is really, really important. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so education is definitely key in animal welfare going forward. Um, it's something a lot of charities are, you know, concentrating mm. on. It's something that the Department of Agriculture as well are concentrating their efforts, you know, a multi-agency approach to education going forward. So we do have an education officer on board. Right. And we're really trying to expand it and get it off the ground this year, aggressively go into schools and colleges. Brilliant. Um, and down the line, we will touch and go, you know, into the Irish Prison Service and giving our education elsewhere. But for this year and next year, we really want to try and get in as much schools and colleges as possible um, and then we will also have like a horse care leaflet coming right. on board later this year as well. Okay, um, that's so great. something we're we're passionately about, and it's, it's very very important. Brilliant. Well, you do ter- tremendous work. I know you're having a tax sale uh, from uh, twelve noon until four o'clock this Sunday. That's in the Boyne Community School to help you raise yeah. uh, funds for the work. Um, listen, Joseph, it's been lovely to talk to you. I really hope people out there consider maybe getting involved. It's tremendous work, and I think you know they say a society is judged on how it treats its most vulnerable. I also think a society Absolutely. is judged on how it treats and look after its animals. So thank you for all yeah. the work you do. No problem. Um, if I could just add our website, look, anyone interested, yes? if you just log on to lensahorseandponyrescue.com or they can shoot us a message on Facebook and we'll get back to them to arrange everything. That's fantastic. Thanks again, Joseph. This is The Water Boys. 
And you're welcome back to The Late Lunch. This is me, Barbara Scully, in for Jerry Kelly today. Right, retinitis pigmentosa, or RP, is a hereditary condition which causes progressive blindness. It is estimated that RP affects around about 1,500 Irish people. That would be one in every 4,000. However, it has hit the Cousin family four out of nine times. So to tell me about living with RP, I am joined now by Geraldine Cousins, who is from Geraldine Cousin, excuse me, from Kells. Hi, Geraldine. Apologise. Apologies for falling over your surname and welcome to Late Lunch. How are you? Hi, Barbara. Thanks a million for having me. Not at all. It's good to talk to you. Geraldine, tell us a little bit. Um, I I know that you were tested as a child when your older sister was diagnosed with ORP. But when did you begin to notice its effects? Um, well, I suppose grow, growing up, like we would have, we would have all kind of been just classed as clumsy and fallen across different, you know, little things and impact obstacles in our in our way. But that really was um, the the tunnel, the peripheral vision, having no peripheral vision. So it, you know, it, it 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 was kind of when we were actually diagnosed that the dots all started to join up. Right. You know, and um, so it, it would have started kind of with the, just being clumsy and the night blindness and all of that, and then it kind of yeah. Oh. And 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 how is your vision now? Where where would you say you're at now? I'm. I suppose when I was diagnosed at eight, you know, you're you're, you're told you have this condition, and you just you, you mull on, and you, you, we just got on with it. But I suppose being being older now, and it getting you know progressively worse. Um, Yes, it's starting to really affect, I suppose, day to day living and, and that sort of thing. Um, just, absolutely. Just take me back to, to when you were eight, nine, ten. Did I mean, you said you were clumsy and that was your peripheral vision uh, wasn't good. So you tended not to see things, presumably, in your peripheral vision. Uh, but how did it affect, looking back now from where you are now, how did it affect you as a child and as a teenager? Did it interfere with your life a lot? Not a bit. No, you just get on with it. You, you, you know, you, it was a thing you grew up with. You didn't know any different. I always thought people had the same eyes as me until, you know, yeah. you were told at eight. But look, when you're a teenager, then you try and hide things. You know, you want to fit in and all of that. But I suppose when you get older and you become a mother and, you know, you're out in the working environment, you have to reach out and you have to. Because it got worse, you kind of just have to say, well, hold on a second here. I need help. I need help yeah. with this. I need help with that. And... You know, you're you're older, and I suppose life life teaches teaches you lessons. That, yeah. You know, you, to don't be afraid to ask. Is it hard? Is it hard, um, Geraldine? To, to, was it hard for you to start to to ask for help when you realised that you were going to need help with certain things? Was that yeah. hard? It it was. It yeah. was. It absolutely it was. Um, I remember being at college down in Sligo, like, and you know, I was out in the big bad world, living down there at the time, and you know, you know, dark evenings, leaving the college and trying to, you know, not make your way up the road and pray that you don't fall off the path, that yes. sort of thing, in the dark. But look, looking back in hindsight, it was, it was hard, but, you know, you never really thought of it. I think it's just as I got older in life and, you know, you, you start treasuring your health and your wellness and, and what's important, you kind of look and you go, Jesus, you know, um, there's no harm in asking for help. And I think Ireland... Um, as opposed to um, Europe, even I think Ireland is definitely up there in in um, you know creating equal opportunities and and we're very disability friendly in Ireland. I think you know That's just from, from from going on holidays and different things like that. I I can um, see the difference between yeah. you know how someone visually impaired in Ireland 
you know, maybe say even in a team park, uh, it's treated maybe say in a team park in, in Europe or something. You know, like there's so much help out there at the moment. It's, 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 it really is amazing. It's, it's definitely, excuse the pun, open my eyes to, to live with sight loss, you know. <laughs> and I also think that it's important when you do ask for help that you need to tell people exactly what they need to do to help you. And I think once you give people that you know, instruction, I need you to help, I need you to do this for me or that for me or whatever. I think then people are happy when they have that kind of guidance as to what it is you need rather than vaguely kind of, I need help. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like no no two people with this condition can see the same. Because yes. everyone, everyone's, everyone's affected in different ways. Like, you know, my, my sister and my brother are, are will be affected differently than what I do. But like, we're, we're always comparing notes and bruises and... You, you know, what loss. Yeah. Um, and sharing, sharing, I suppose, little stories with each other. Well, I find this helps me better. Um, and I find this little trick. And, you know, like, and it's great to have that, uh, that support. Yes, of course. Um, you know, and as I said, they get you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know. That kind of way. I know. And uh, you mentioned uh, a few minutes ago then about your working life. And I know you work in the NCBI shop in Navin, isn't that correct? Yeah. And yeah, tr- I, I'm, I'm the manager there for the last, we're, we're nine years old this year so um, yeah it's, 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 it's um, and how do you manage that on a day to day basis you know what are the kind of challenges that you have in the in that environment that you that you have worked around that you've developed workarounds for um, like for SBI like I mean you couldn't I couldn't be working for a better a better organisation that get me yes just like, just like my siblings Um yeah, I I have a magnifier on 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 the till when I'm dealing with customers, and they provide me with electronic magnifiers out the back for, you know, sorting the the clothes and yes. stuff. Um, do you know the the they're a great it's 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 great to be working for someone that just gets you, and I can ring them and say, look, I'm having a problem with this. Can you help me? And they're on to it. Do yeah. You know, like. And and that's I don't know if I would get that service in you know, any other environment, you know, because because it's so close to my heart, I suppose. Yeah. I have a team of volunteers there that um, are just absolutely one in a million. They're they're brilliant. That's an interesting... That's an interesting point you make. Sorry for interrupting you. That's an interesting point you make because I do think that I had a very small insight into being kind of not, I don't want to, disabled is a big word, but when I broke my arm and I was literally without my right arm for about eight weeks, there were so many things that I couldn't do. And it did strike me that we live in a world that is so much always geared towards people who are fully able-bodied. And, you know, we really need to start to change that in order that people with whatever kind of disability can function easily as you say you're lucky to be in an NCBI shop where they get it and they're mm-hmm. kind of they're good with all the, the supports that you need um, but it is probably something that, that other work environments as you say need to, to look at tell me um, Geraldine about the kind of the, the, the activities of daily living you know how do you manage with cooking and shopping I'm, I'm being very no, I, I don't want to gender that but you know what I mean cooking and <laughs> no, shopping we all cook all. and shop I, I, I have three teenagers that don't like cooking so <laughs> I, do, I, I, do, I do a lot of cooking if um, you stop cooking Geraldine they learn very quickly oh I know absolutely <laughs> this air fryer is a great invention oh tell me about <laughs> it yeah <laughs> Uh, no, I find um, like I I have a hob at home, and all these new um, appliances, um, all are lovely, sleek designs. They don't want to see knobs. Like anybody with visual impairment would lo- likes to have, you know, a control on a on a 
on a, an electrical item that they can see, that yes. they can feel. Whereas all of these are touch buttons and um, very, very hard to navigate oh, when, when you're visually impaired. But um, look, I, I, I had a, a disaster one day. My hob actually blew up one day in the oh, kitchen. It was just after, after about 19 years, it finally gave up on... I rang my partner who works in um, Euronics and Cal's and he, he, he brought home a hob and, you know, it, it, it hadn't got any knobs on it. And um, I, I picked up the phone, I rang NCBI the next day and I said, Jesus, how do I overcome this, you know? Yeah. And they said, um, look, you know, they, they gave me these like little, they're called bump stickers and you put them, you put them on your hob. Oh, right. So you're, you're able to feel the sticker and, um, you know, exactly where you're pressing. So, so yeah, a small fix that makes a huge difference. Yeah, and and like this, we've we've all these lovely smart devices where I can tell, you know, tell tell my speaker to turn off the lights or turn on the washing machine or, you know, there's actually fridges out now that tell you what's in them. <laughs> well, that's very handy. Yeah. So they don't do the shopping, though, do they? No. Unfortunately not. Unfortunately not. Is but, that something you find difficult now negotiating around your way around a supermarket pushing a trolley? Because I find that difficult, and I can see fairly well. Yes. Yes, yeah. um, with a, with no peripheral, you're constantly, you know, watching for small children beside you. And like, I, I wouldn't definitely not shop on my own. I, I always go with my partner, one of the children. Yeah. Um, it's definitely something um, I don't like. I don't like them, but it obviously has to be done. The food has to go into the press. But yeah, just just little things like that. Like as being a mommy in a house, pairing up socks and matching socks and... <sighs> You know, yeah. um, <laughs> all, those, all those little stupid things, yeah. Yeah, little stupid things, but, but, but uh, it's very important that for a teenager to have matching socks. Do you know what I do? Um, do you know what I do, Geraldine? I'll give you this tip for absolutely nothing. I have a thing at home beside the washing machine which we call the sock basket because mm-hmm. my daughter's socks all look kind of the same but they're all slightly different and yeah. I just got fed up of standing there for hours trying to work out what colour was what and what went with what. So now I just dump them all in and I say to them, you can go down and sort your own socks out of the sock basket. And you know what the thing is? I've realised is they all wear odd socks now a lot of the time because they couldn't be bothered doing it either. Yeah, exactly. I I actually have resorted to that only in the last I'd say three months. So uh, yeah, it's a great it's a great uh, a great thing to have. Or you you mentioned yeah you mentioned you have three children. Um, I I think they're all teenagers now, isn't that right? Yeah, twenty down to fourteen. Right. So you've busy house. Are are any of them affected by by ORP? No, thank God. No, none That's of them great. actually, which is which is brilliant. So um yeah, my parents were were um my father was a carrier so. It didn't, it just affected, as as you said earlier, there's nine children in the family and it affected four of us. Right, but, but your parents um, weren't affected, your father was just a carrier. Yeah, right. yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So, and how do you feel, I hope this isn't a stupid question or, or an insensitive question, Geraldine, but how do you feel about the future? About, you know, do, are you doing things now to prepare for perhaps when your sight is, is less than even than it is now? I am. Uh, yeah, I do. I, I do worry about it. But look, I mean, the way I look at it, I'm not in pain. It's it's not something that I have to take medication for. Yeah. You know, um, I just have to to learn. And 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 I've done I've done my cane training, and I'll probably you know continue continue to kind of keep that updated. Um, because I suppose from October to kind of around March, it's beginning so of March, that's. That's where where I really um at my most vulnerable and um, you know coming from work and getting trying to navigate 
um, public transport and all of that in the dark. It's hard. Um, yeah, that that part is hard. So I suppose I have done cane training and I'm I'm actually back at college part time. Good on you. Um, yeah. So uh, I'm hoping, like maybe down the road, um, possibly when I won't be able to manage a shop. Um, that I might go into coaching or something, something kind of down, down that line. So that's kind of what I'm aiming for at the moment. Well, you're certainly articulate enough to do that. Um, so I wish you the best of luck with that. Now, tell me, I heard that you were doing um, a walk in Marbella later this year in Spain. Tell me, tell me about that. Yes, it's in Spain in October. Um, I don't know if it's going to be a walk or a crawl. It's probably a bit of both. <laughs> but um, I'm trying to raise some funds and. Um, for NCBI because I just think without them I wouldn't be where I am today. Sure. And they're they're providing the opportunity for me to um go to college and I mean I just want to give something back. So myself and my good friend who happens to be also a long term volunteer in the shop, yeah. the two of us are taken off to do this walk to try and raise some funds. So I would appreciate if anyone out there would like a little bit of sponsorship or maybe throw me two euro or something towards the raffle, I'd be I'd be very appreciative. That's that's great. And come here, how can people how can people get in touch with you um if they want to help you out with that and, and sponsor you, etc.? Um they could call into the shop in NCBI in Avon Brilliant. and ask for me or I can leave my number here with reception um in LMFM and or my email. And we'll pass it on then. Yes. So if anybody would like to, to help you out, um that that's a, that's a great way. So we'll have your, your details here and uh we can we can uh, pass them on to people who want to get in touch. Listen, you're a breath of fresh air, Geraldine. I hope that doesn't sound patronizing. Um yes, but I love your attitude. Nice. I wish you continued success. Best to luck with the college and the study and best to luck to all in the NCBI shop there in Navan. Thank you very much for joining us today. Don't go away. We'll be back after this break. And you're welcome back to Late Lunch. This is Barbara Scully. Now, what would you think about a school where there are no teachers, no classes and no homework? I know a lot of parents would know that like love the no homework bit, but no teachers and no classes. That's the kind of thing that I think uh, can strike fear into the heart of many parents, including yours truly here. But think about it. A school where learning is self-directed and where children are free to follow their own interests and passions. Well, such a school has just opened in Meath and 15 children are already enrolled in the True Nature School, which has received inquiries from parents as far away as Spain and Greece, who are thinking of relocating here solely to educate their family in this type of school, which is known as as a Sudbury school. So to tell us more, I'm now joined by Rachel Oglesby, who is one of the founders of this radical school. Uh, good afternoon, Rachel. How are you doing? Good, thanks, Barbara. Thanks for speaking to me today. Not at all. And congratulations. This is uh, this is some achievement. Um, now, as I said in the intro, I think the concept, you know, when parents hear this kind of concept, we go straight back into, oh God, that'd be oh genie Mac, like that's, you know, because it's terrifyingly new. So will you tell me, first of all, broadly, what is a Sudbury school and where did Sudbury come from? Absolutely. And I suppose to say as well, we are all socially conditioned because we've always just known school to be the way it is. And it's very hard then to try and think outside the box and outside the mould. But uh, Sudbury schools are democratic. Um, they're based on democratic edu- education model. And uh, they're not new, really. They're quite new to Ireland, but they're not new. The oldest one is 100 years old, and that's Summer Hill in the UK. Um, and then we're based on the Sudbury model, which the first Sudbury school was uh, established by parents and educators in the US. And that was in 1968. 
and they just really wanted a different kind of edu- educational approach for their children and just saw that I suppose mainstream wasn't suiting everybody. Yeah. And that's, that's how we align ourselves with that as well. Excellent. Um, I mean, I think you're absolutely, you've hit the nail on the head when you said we're all socially conditioned, you know, because we all went to the same type of school generally that our kids uh, go to or or went to. So tell me, in this particular model, as I said in the intro, there are no teachers and older children help the younger children. So how does that work in practice? Mm. So the the democratic model actually call it their secret weapon. It's mixed age groups. So the children as young as five can join, right up to eighteen. And I mean, children just gravitate towards older older children anyway. It, it helps them propel their learning because they see older children doing things that they want to do, and they generally learn better from each other than from adults. And also, it's just so wonderful to see because you see the older students and they're practicing leadership, they're practicing nurturing, you know, they're also, they're also so close to learning um, uh, things that they're able to explain it in a different way and almost break it down easier than adults. And in general, in general, in practice, when that works, is it, you know, if you're a five-year-old going into this school, you're obviously not going to gravitate really to an 18-year-old. You're probably going to gravitate to a seven or eight-year-old. Would that be correct? Um, it's funny you should say that because we're only open a week, but uh, one of the one of the students here, he's six, and his favourite thing about the first day was that an older student who's uh, 15 was, was watching him play a game, and that was his best part of the day. So, you know, it actually it actually does work with all different age groups. At the end of the day, I suppose we just look at students and children um, and teenagers as humans and human nature. We connect with different people. It doesn't matter what age they are. Yeah. You know, we'll, we'll gravitate to whoever, you know, makes ah. us feel, feel good about ourselves or... Yeah. And then who helps the oldest kids? You know, the 18-year-olds. The yeah. uh, are they just yeah. self-directed learning using technology? So technology would be part of it, but also, I mean, anybody in the school can also um, ask for more instructional instructional uh, learning if they want. So say they wanted to learn more in-depth science, then they can put a proposal to the school to get a science teacher in that would have more expertise if the staff, if anyone on the staff doesn't have that expertise. Uh, so there is there is opportunities there for students and what they find in this model is that because students can deep dive into subjects they're interested in you know they become they become very 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 good at those subjects they may not have the broad spectrum of say the leaving search where you do lots and lots of subjects um but they deep dive in what they're interested in. And how does that work then when you follow it through? So I presume then you don't, your, your students don't take any of the state exams, don't get involved in all that lovely CAO points and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, they can actually if they want to, because any student, um, anyone that's homeschooled will know, will know this also, that any student can actually apply to do the, sit their leave and start in any local secondary school so they could if they wanted to go down that route but what they find with the with the um, democratic schools that already exist and there's three already in Ireland um, there's Wicklow, Sligo and West Cork what they find with those students is that they tend to know themselves very very well because they've had all this time to explore what they're interested in so rather than do a leave and start where you're picking you know you're doing six to eight subjects 
um, they tend to do QQIs and they can go directly into the CAO points. So you can do a QQI online. It's just a, um, a qualification that yeah. you can do online or you can go to what's called a PLC. Both people know them as PLCs, post leaving Cert College. But actually to get into a post leaving Cert College, you don't actually have to do, have done your leaving cert. Um, they accept entries through interview and sometimes um, portfolio and that kind of stuff. Okay. I so presume... They can go to university if they want, sorry. Yeah. Okay, yeah. No, that's great. I presume from listening to you that this uh, particular type of school would be very suitable for children as well who find mainstream, mainstream school difficult. You know, find the being quiet, the sitting down, the kind of trying to uh, apply yourself to stuff you're not interested in. That your type of school would suit those children very well. Yeah, it does. It, it, it suits it suits a lot of different types of children very well. But yes, we would find that, and I, I suppose everybody out there, it's, it's very unfortunate, but everybody out there probably knows someone who's struggling in school or a teenager that's at yeah. home in their bedroom and, you know, can't go to school because they've got anxiety. Um, or a young kid, my own, my own children struggled. Um, I have three teenage boys, my youngest. He um, was crying every day and a lot of... Um, self-hate talk about oh. how stupid he was and stuff like that and I just I, I just couldn't I couldn't I felt like I was sending him to school every day to fail because he felt like a failure that's so, terrible and I'm sure there's me. Yeah. I'm sure there's parents out there who are nodding their head in agreement at the radio um, you know who've had kids who've had exactly that that same experience in school can discipline be an issue then when you, I mean, presumably you have far less staff than, than a regular school would have. So um, is discipline ever going to be an issue, do you think? Well, just on the, on, on the staff, our ratio is about 12 students to one staff member. Oh. Um, that, would be, that would be the, the highest, I suppose. Um, you know, we would never go under that. Um, so sometimes we have more staff than, than that, I'm trying to say, yeah. Um, and then the other thing is with discipline, um, with this type of educational model, the children make their own rules along with the staff. And it's an incredible process to watch. I mean, we started here only on Monday and spoke to the children about what do they need to keep themselves safe in this environment and what do they need from each other. And immediately they came up with all the rules that adults would, like being nice to each other, you know, not hitting each other, no swearing, all sorts of rules. And actually, when you give that responsibility to children, they probably go overboard. What they find in the suburb schools is they come up with loads and loads of rules. And because they've made them themselves, they're more inclined to actually stick to them. Yeah. yeah. In saying that, there is always going to be rule breakers. That's, that's human nature, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, but in a suburb model, there is a process and it's a, a student-led process of dealing with rule breaks. So what that means is there would be uh, a couple of students and an adult and they would find and give the children time to talk it out about and it's a lot about negotiation. It's a lot about talking about feelings and it's a lot about them finding solutions to the disagreements that they have. So there's huge learning in that as well. Yeah. And I guess that kind of what you've just described there with the, the, the kids being involved in drawing up, if you like, the charter or the, you know, the, the set mm. of rules, um, that they feel then they've ownership of the school as well, you know, rather than just they're attending a school that's run by, you know, the powers that be, that this is their school and that they have an ownership to it. 
Absolutely. And they come up with the most brilliant rules. I mean, they've already come up with a rule that we should have indoor shoes and outdoor shoes. Oh, my God. When I was going to school. Do you know something? The nuns used to insist on that. I was telling my kids about that only recently. We used to have indoor shoes as well because the nuns didn't want their polished floors getting wrecked by our outdoor shoes. But that's a great idea. Having slippers, slippers for indoors, especially in our climate. Um, I presume also then you'd encourage or would you if a child wants to spend more time outdoors? Is that okay? Yes, that's. I mean, that's that's a huge part of our um, philosophy towards um, towards children's learning is believing that they can learn so much from the natural environment. Yeah, they can regulate so much easier outdoors, you know. And you know, we've great plans to um, get a polytunnel, do lots of growing outside, lots of cooking. So a lot of the learning would look like that. It's very practical. Yeah. Um, it can be instructional, as I said, as well, if, if the students are looking for that. But a lot of the learning is very practical. But, you know, children surprise you. I mean, already I've been surprised so many times this week, but one of our, one of our students suggested that they all do maths because, you know, maths is a very important skill to have. And they did. They, they decided themselves that they wanted to do some maths. And then today, in, in another couple of students, um, younger students um, came in saying they wanted to learn to read and that they wanted to do their letters. So I think we, as adults, you know, we've been so con- conditioned to believe that if we give children freedom, they won't ever choose anything useful to do. But I mean, they do. They, they surprise do. us all the time. Mm. That's. I mean, you're, yeah. That's. It just. It sounds. It sounds fantastic. Now I know you get no state funding, and I know that even the bank wouldn't loan you money without you setting up a preschool and an after school mm. that's to run alongside uh, your new that's school. Right. So, is it expensive if parents are interested in sending their kids to your school? Presumably, you have to charge a fee. Yes, we do to cover our costs. So yeah. we operate as a not-for-profit. Um, we will be applying for a charity status, but um, we are a not-for-profit. So that means that all the money we raise goes to covering the costs of running the school. Um, so at the moment, our fees are 5,000 a year per student. So it's 500 euro. It's broken down into 500 euro a month over yeah. 10 months of the school year. That's for the first child in a family. The second child is a reduction and the third child is a reduction as well. And... We would, I mean, we would love for this to be safe funded and not to have to charge. Yeah. Um, so our our goal is like really not to 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 really provide a service for anybody that wants that it and wants needs it. it. Great. So in the future, we want to um, give bursaries, you know, for yeah. for lower income families if they really want this education and their, you know, their child and, benefit from it. And Rachel, how do people find you? How do they get in touch? Yeah, so we have a website which is www.true and that's T-R-U-E nature and it's Sudbury and that's S-U-D-B-U-R-Y dot I-E Brilliant Brilliant And you could also get me on on my phone numbers at the school phone numbers on the website Fabulous You want me to call it out here You can, yeah, just quickly, yeah 087 
that's, that's brilliant. Well, as I say, it's lovely to talk to you in your first week of operation. I wish oh, you the best you so of success. Much. Be dying oh, to hear how this goes. I'd say hopefully we'll check in with you again, maybe a little bit further oh, down the road and see how thank it's all well, going. Well, Thanks. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. That was Rachel Oglesby there. Don't go away. More coming up after this. And you're welcome back to Late Lunch. Barbara Scully with you today. So, uh, 7th of April is World Health Day. And on that day, COPD Support Ireland are hosting a free webinar entitled Living Your Best Life with COPD for People with Chronic Obstructive Pulmonary Disease, or as I say, COPD. And COPD is probably better known maybe as bronchitis or emphysema. There are an estimated 380,000 people living with COPD in Ireland. Its key symptoms are ongoing breathlessness and a persistent cough with or without phlegm. This uh, webinar aims to offer lots of practical tips on the lifestyle changes that people with COPD can make to enhance their quality of life and it will feature a number of contributors on different aspects of that. So they love talking about maintaining your mental health, making food enjoyable and also the benefits of outdoor activity. Speakers include the well-known psychologist Dr Eddie Murphy um, and also my next guest who is award-winning landscape gardener David Shortall. David, how are you? I'm good, Barbara. How are you? I'm very well. It's nice to talk to you today. And I'm fascinated with some of these tips that you have and which you're going to to talk about during this webinar around gardening, which I think will be of interest to everybody, um, whether you've COPD or not. And the first one, as as somebody who absolutely loves her bath, fascinated me because I always have Epsom salts. You can use Epsom salts in the garden. Tell me more. Yeah, you can. Um, So Epsom salts contain magnesium, which is a well, it's an essential uh, nutrient uh, for uh, plant health. But what magnesium does, or Epsom salts in general, is it actually allows the release of other nutrients from the soil particles that are locked into... Um, soil particles sometimes lock in the nutrients so they're not available to, to plants. Um, and when you use Epsom salts, what it does is it actually changes the pH oh. uh, or the, you know, the acidity and alkalinity of a soil. And as a result... Um, the nutrients that are locked into the particles become available uh, to the plant. So it's really good and obviously it's quite cheap as well. You can buy it in a chemist or you can buy it in... in, um, If you buy the basic model, don't be putting your expensive ones with aromatherapy fragrances on that. That would be not good. But if you go and buy the big tubs of the cheap stuff... That's exactly it, yeah. And And, perfect for that. And can you just fling the Epsom salts around or should you do something... Yeah, so, I mean, a bit like uh, any other thing, I suppose with larger plants and more mature plants, you can spread granules around them. But if it's a younger plant or it's maybe a plant that's in, uh, you want to uh, feed quick, more quickly, um, uh, putting it into a tepid water, into warm water, will actually mean that the plant can take it up a lot quicker. So, uh, or house plants, of course, the same thing, because they'll be a little bit more vulnerable to you know, maybe getting burnt by by um, crystals and things like that. So, so just to throw some crystals into your watering can and fill it up and that, and that's the way to do that. That's correct. And then if you have a hedge or a mature shrub, then just toss a few crystals around the base and give it a water in. So... Excellent. I think I love that idea. I'm going to yeah. definitely do that myself. Now, the other thing that uh, you're going to talk about, I think, is roses. And I mean, roses, again, one of my favourite flowers. Love the smell of roses, love having roses in the garden. But they can be they can be a bit difficult because they're kind of susceptible to all kinds of things. Yeah, they are. Now, roses have been kind of bred for years um, for, you know, the, the, a nice smell or a beautiful flower and that kind of stuff. But sometimes as they bred them, they kind of bred... Uh, 
fantastic attributes in terms of the way they look, but uh, the disease resistance or the pest resistance is not uh, up to the same standard. Yeah. So as a result, you, you can kind of get things like um, powdery mildew or black spot or rust. Now, rust is not saying that you get on your car. It's kind of a fungal disease that has uh, uh, kind of a, a rusty-looking appearance. Makes the leaves uh, go brown, does it? Yeah, they can go brown. What will happen is eventually they'll actually burn the leaves. Yeah, oh. so you get that uh, too. And that can happen with powdery mildew as well. Uh, then, obviously, the the dreaded green fly as well, uh, aphids, uh, as they're properly called, because sometimes they're not green, they're actually red or black or uh, various different colours. All of those guys will love your roses. Um, so um, you probably noticed uh, that rose pier um, keeps getting banned all the time because some of the chemicals and things like that become kind of something that the European Union yeah. have decided is not um, a good idea. Uh, it's not a good idea anymore. And they keep coming back with more and more kind of formulations and that kind of stuff. Um, so uh, the organic or at least homemade version of uh, a type of rose clear, something to protect your roses, would be to mix bicarbonate of soda in a pint of water. That would be just a teaspoon of it yeah, uh, in a ha- half a litre. Yeah. And then a small bit of uh, washing up liquid. Things we all have in our kitchens. Yeah, exactly. And this is the whole idea, I suppose, again, for people with uh, COPD who mightn't get out that much, but yeah. you know, they might say, well, I'm out in my garden and I can't get to the garden centre. Well, I can make this myself. So, it's easy, um, easy peasy. So the idea behind that, yeah, is so the, the washing up liquid will um, uh, will uh, control the, the aphids and then the um, bicarbonate soda is always very good for um, any sort of fungal disease. Right. Excellent. Now, um, you, I also love the idea you have, and this is for lazy gardeners like me. This would be uh, this would be a great one um, about leaving your grass. Don't be cutting the grass too much. Like cut a, a, a walkway around it. And tell me what happens then if on a lawn, if you leave it go a bit mad, what happens? Yeah. So you probably noticed that the local councils and kind of um, a lot of large areas where they've got kind of residence committees, people are leaving the the. the the grass rather than cutting them. Uh, so in the spring, you'd see that they leave them for the daffodils and the yes. naturalised bulbs to come up. And then later on in the season, I suppose the less chemicals you use and the more you actually leave the wildflowers to, uh, to kind of infiltrate the grass, um, the more you'll start to see um, of things like, well, the daisies and dandelions, and um, which all have pretty flowers, um, uh, buttercups. Um, and if you're lucky after a couple of years of not using chemicals, you start to get things like pyramidal orchids and, um, you know, Lovely. eat well and various different things. And you would be surprised at how much colour there is, you know. Um, That's brilliant. And obviously, the added benefit of that is the fact that you don't have to cut the grass. You don't have to cut the grass. And it's great yeah. for the environment and it's great for all yeah. the butterflies and the bees. David, where time is against exactly. us um, and I know you have lots more uh, things to share at the webinar, which is coming up, as I say, on Friday, Good Friday, April 7th, from 12 midday to one thirty. It's completely free. And to register, visit copd.ie. Thank you so much for your time today, David. Not at all. You're very welcome. Thank you. And you're welcome back to the Late Lunch Live. This is Barbara Scully. Votes coming in for Tommy Tiernan for the Late Late Show gig, which isn't really, I suppose, surprising. Anna Burke says he would be hilarious and brilliant. You're not alone, Anna. I think there's quite a few people who think that. Anyway, 
You know the song that says, if we could talk to the animals, I'm not going to sing it, learn their languages and maybe take an animal degree. Well, now that is a reality because you now can go and attend an animal communication workshop. My next guest is running just such a thing. Lynn Furlong, you are very welcome to Late Lunch. How are you doing? Uh, Thank you very much indeed. Yes, I am doing very well. Thank you. Good. I'm delighted to talk to you because um, I would imagine that like like me, you are an animal lover. Um, uh, But I'd really love to know as someone who lives with I've lived with five animals domestic animals and a couple of foxes in my garden and I try and communicate with all of them to absolutely no effect whatsoever so how did you realise that you could communicate with the animals where did it start and how does it work? Oh where did it start well like yourself I had animals from the time I was a child my parents had animals there was always dogs and cats in around the place and of course any time I was ever in trouble uh, you'd find me in the dog's kennel. The dog house. <laughs> With the dog. <laughs> uh, that's where I uh, went whenever time I was in trouble. So I always had a love of animals. They were big, big in my life, you know. So we were never without a dog or a cat. And it's only last December that my lovely cat died, but I didn't replace her. Oh. Now we have two dogs in the house. Sorry. So, and how uh, did you know that you could communicate with them? How did that start to happen? Did it start to happen when you were a child? No, not really, no. I heard a woman uh, from Africa, actually. She was from South America, South Africa. And she was doing a workshop uh, in England. And I heard this advertise and I said, I've got to go to that. <laughs> okay, so, so you went yeah, to the workshop. I went and I had to get... Um, planes and trains and buses and taxi because it was in this out of God forsaken place <laughs> you, know, you had to get taxis and everything at the end to get to it but it was worth it I enjoyed the weekend she had us talking communicating with her cats she was a cat person and she was after moving over uh, from South Africa and into England where she had a partner an English partner so that's what brought her to England and I was delighted because I seemed to get it right away and I think that's it's that connection that you have with the animals that you get it you get it right away so did you find that when you had done that workshop that you were able to communicate to know what an animal was thinking or feeling what they're feeling well there's different ways of communication right so there is um, there's what they call clear audience. That's when you can clear hearing. You know, you can hear what they're saying to you. Okay. Clear sentience, where you can pick up on their feelings. And well, I can do that with, with they have pain anywhere, what have you. But my my strongest one is clairvoyance, which is clear seeing. They, keep, they show me pictures of everything. And then there's another one that's clear cognizance, which is clear knowing. Now, I don't have that one. Uh, or if I do, I wouldn't be uh, take to it very well, you know. Right. Coming in. But um, the seeing, the pictures that I get are everything. They show me pictures. So what kind of pictures? So like if somebody comes to you with an animal, I yeah. mean, again, having lived with animals, I know that if an animal's behaviour changes and becomes problematic, it's usually because they're upset or they're in pain or there's something going down. Exactly. Um, so if that was you and, and your animal started to act or an animal that came to you and had started to behave differently, 
How do you begin the process of trying to find out what's going on? Do you talk to the animal and say, tell me what's wrong? Or do you communicate kind of psychically or what way does that happen? Well, first of all, you have to make a connection with it. Okay. And the connection is love. Yeah. You have to have a love of animals. That, that's all I ever ask people. If you haven't got a love of animals, I don't think you'll ever get to talk to them because they know um, they're very, very sensitive to energy. Yes. I think a lot of people don't know that because if there's lightning or anything like that coming in, they'll know, you know. And they'll know if you love them or if you don't love them. And if you don't love them, if you don't love animals or you're afraid of dogs or you don't want to be near them, you know, I think they're all dirty, they're putting hairs in their clothes and all this. They will not want to talk to you. Right. Okay. Now, but love sometimes isn't enough. Um so it isn't, Lynn, because I have I'm going to I'm going to use you now as my personal um, um, agony aunt here on animals, because I have, as I say, at the moment, four cats. And before I had four, I had two, two male cats, both neutered, lovely, affectionate animals in the house. They have a cat flap. They come and go. They were great. We then rehomed a cat with only had three legs. Now, she has a little bit of an attitude, but she's a small female and she was only a little kitten when I came. The two lads upped and left home. Now, one of them since came back. The other fella has never come back. He's gone four years now and he comes into the garden occasionally. And recently he's starting to allow me to pet him. But I can't get him to kind of come back into the house or come back to live with us. And he's living. Now, I know somebody's probably feeding him, but he's living basically outside and he's a lovely comfortable home to live in and it breaks my heart that I can't get him to come back yeah. well it's more, it's more than likely you see that they could have felt not wanted when you got in another cat Lord. two you see is fine three is a crowd oh and how do so I tell him two he's where you go four how do I tell him he's wanted I tell him I say do you remember we used to watch the TV and we used to sit in, on the sofa and light the fire and he just looks at me like he doesn't know what I'm talking about because he doesn't know what I'm talking about <laughs> then send him pictures send That's him pictures him. send him a picture of you and him sitting on the couch with, with your head and nice and comfy and food there for him get that picture in your mind and send it to him wow Oh my God! That so would, that would be horses, great. if they're going out with say to a gym can or something, then they walk the course and they think, "Oh, that that that's very awkward." Now that that jump, you know, where it's on a corner and we have to jump it at an angle, and all. And what happens when they get there? They're thinking, "No, this is awkward," you know, and then they knock into it. The horse knocks into it. So yeah. the horse is picking up on what they're thinking. Right. They pick up on our thoughts. It's Tell, all energy to them. Everything is energy. Well, I totally believe that. Yeah, I totally get that. Now, listen, I totally understand what you're saying and, and, I, and I do actually believe it. But do you find that people are sceptical in about what you can do? Uh, they were. I started in the 90s. Oh, did you? And then, I think it's about the first one in Ireland and everybody thought I was a nutcase, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ready to go into Grange Court somewhere. You know. <laughs> And uh, but since that it has been it's known worldwide now that there is you know animals do communicate with us, and uh, it's fine now you know people enjoy getting to know their animals they enjoy wanting to speak to Brilliant. them they enjoy 
wanting to know what they need and what they'd like and what they want. Okay, well, look, I am going to go home tonight and the next time I see Scooter in my garden, I'm going to do that thing with the picture and also with the one with the three legs who has got a bit of an attitude. I'm going to give her pictures of how to soften her cough a little bit. If people want to get in touch with you, they can Google Animal Communications Ireland, I think, and find you very easily and sign up for one of your questions. Lovely. Lynn, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. I really enjoyed that. Um, Thank you so much and continued success to you. about your arm. You should have gone for healing as well, Do you know something? That's on my agenda to do and I will be doing that. I'm a great believer in Reiki and I will be doing that. Thank you for your advice. Um, Thank you. That was lovely talking to you. And you, Lynn. Thanks a million. That was Lynn Furlong there, animal communications expert. Right, don't go away. Coming up is Eddie Caffrey on The Drive and I'm leaving you today with Lewis Capaldi. Back here again tomorrow. Hope you'll join me. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.